Have those Marvel blues while Black Widow's theatrical release date is consistently delayed? Well, turn that frown upside down because yet another MCU podcast is here to guide you through the MCU one movie at a time. That's right, Mike. Each episode, we break down one movie from the MCU and talk about its connections with the source material, comic books. Which means I get to learn so many fascinating things like about Alpha Flight. The Canadian Avengers. Who knew? And Moon Knight. A multiple personality superhero. Seriously? And then there's Man-Thing. Yeah, not really sure how to explain that one. Pretty sure no one can. Yet another MCU podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Boom! I guess I like sports movies! Yeah, like real creepy-like. Did you notice him with his pants down? Oh, with his pants down? Yeah. I just noticed somebody was there. Yeah. No, his his pants are now. He's taking a dump. Is that? And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I want to do the secret cabal stuff. I don't want. I don't want to just go oh, and drink. Still, you still got to wear a cloak and stuff. No, I no, no. I want the. Up. I want the real cabal stuff. Like I want the stuff <laughs> for controlling the world. I want the signet ring. You know what? Screw that. Hello, I'm Mike Butler, and I'm Mike Field, and you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular film was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Field, take it away. Why is that? Why are you doing that so fast? I don't know. What was going on there? Like micro machines. Remember those commercials? Each episode we had a film that for varieties we forgot my audiences. They're amazing. <laughs> oh, you should do it like that. All right. <laughs> I was going to start off with the synopsis, but you know what? Screw that. We are doing King Arthur from 2004, the war slash adventure film. In this interpretation of the classic tale, Arthur is a cavalry officer in the Roman army defending Hadrian's Wall against rebellious Britons. Is it Britons or Britons? You can still say Britons. Yeah. yeah. He and his troops are expecting to be relieved but are instead sent on a risky mission to rescue the Roman family of Marius Honorius. Honorius? Honorius. Honorius. That's a stupid name. Who proves a despicable torturer of pagans. Arthur frees one of them, Guinevere, who in turn brokers a truce between Arthur and the Britons so as to ward off an invading Saxon army. That is not good because the Britons, are, that's not what they're called. In this, they're actually called the Wodes, right? Because Arthur is also a Briton, right? But the Wo, but the, the Wodes, Wodes are the Britons on the made, other side of the wall, right? But the Wodes is the name that these people that they made up in the movie because they're actually the Picts, P I C T S. All right, so King Arthur came out on Wednesday, July seventh, two thousand four. Has a runtime of one hundred and twenty six minutes. That's if you watch it theatrically, Mike and I, because we're special, watch the director's cut, which That's is right. one hundred and forty one minutes. The unrated, I should director's cut, but the unrated. Uh, the theatrical cut was rated PG-13. I believe the director's cut is unrated, but it's probably an R because there's more blood. Uh, yeah. I mean, R was what they were originally filming it to be. Right. A production budget of $120 million had an opening weekend of $15 million, Oof. Domestic 51 and worldwide $203 million. So it did obviously $150 million uh, across the pond, as they say. I don't think it's a good idea to release a movie so close to the 4th of July that's not about, you know, Hey, let's celebrate England right after the uh, well, War of Independence. Yeah, well, the entire <laughs> movie takes place overcast and rainy and disgusting. Isn't so that England. Yes, I get you, but <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. This is not a summer film. The production company of four of them: Touchstone Pictures, Jerry Bruckheimer Films. It's really a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. World Two Thousand Entertainment and Green Hills Productions, distributed by Buena Vista Pictures. So on the seventh of July, which is a Wednesday, you had nothing else released. But on the ninth, which is the following Friday, you had Anchorman, the first Anchorman, which was a big hit, and Sleepover. The Wednesday after that, so the fourteenth, you had The Door on the Floor, that is the Jeff Bridges movie, and then the sixteenth, which is the following Friday, you had I Robot, the Will Smith movie, which is pretty good, a Cinderella story, and Maria Full of Grace in a limited run. You like I Robot? I don't mind I Robot. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people think. Interesting. 
I, I, I enjoy some of the action. Okay. Yeah. Was that bad? You think uh, you, you thought I would hate it? I thought you react. No, I didn't think you'd hate it. It's not a terrible it's movie. Not, it's I just, not bad. It's I just, a, I just, your reaction was more positive. It's got good. It's got good action. I like iRobot more than I like. What is the one where he's the vampires? Oh, I am Legend. Yes, yeah, I like I'm, I Robot better than that. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, of Yeah, and I and I know that they the I am Legend has like a director's cut where they explain certain things, which I kind of like. Well, in the in the I don't know why we're getting off the topic. The ending the, is better. Yeah. Well, in the I am Legend, you get the idea in the director's cut. You figure out that they're afraid of him because he's killing off their kind. Right. Like he is like he is their vampire almost. Um, which I thought was interesting, which is an interesting take. But anyways, back to King Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said, it came out the seventh. You had the week prior and the second and a limited run. You had the clearing before sunset and the lovely. So it's the exception of Anchorman, which was the huge movie. Was um, it huge? I thought it was like a cult hit, like a sleeper hit. Anchorman? Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought, thought, it, was very, I thought so it was very popular. I don't know. You're looking it up as we talk. I'm going to look up the opening weekend. Yeah. You have a computer in front of you. Why are you going on your phone? I didn't want to. Oh, okay. I, All right. I, I thought you can hear that. No, I, mean, I could be wrong. <laughs> I just always thought it was busy. Uh, this is directed by Antoine Fuqua. Mike and I were talking about Antoine Fuqua before we started. Uh, he started off on The Replacement Killers. He's also done a ton of videos, and he was Jerry Bruckheimer's. Well, Jerry Bruckheimer was his mentor, you think? Or his. He was grooming him for. He was grooming him yeah. for a position yeah. of directing. He him. noticed the talent. Uh, he also directed Training Day and Olympus Has Fallen, uh, one of the one of the uh, has fallen ones that Mike and I like. Which the is first the first one? Was yeah, great. Yeah, well, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Written by David Franzoni, who uh, won an Oscar for his writing for Gladiator, and he also wrote Amistad. Uh, well, one of the no, he wrote Amistad. Uh, he was one of the writers on Gladiator. Uh, no, you know what? Strike that. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, this has an uncredited rewrite by John Lee Hancock as well. Cinematography by oh, this is gonna be bad. Slomir Idziak. Apologize. Yeah, they said his name once on the documentary I watched, and it was like Slomir. Slomir? Okay. They did not say his last name. <laughs> it's the act. Uh, he uh, was nominated for an Oscar for, for cinematography for Black Hawk Down. He also did Proof of Life, and he the Three Colors trilogy of uh, Blue. Uh, that's Red, White, and Blue, if you have not seen those. Those are those are pretty good. I have not seen those. Those are French films by Christophe Krasinski. Krasinski? I, I think I said that wrong. He actually, he, these are in the early 90s, and he passed away maybe like uh, a few years after they came out, but there was three separate movies, Red, White, and Blue, where they each represent the uh, colors of the French flag, mm -hmm. like Liberty and stuff like that. And so they their own separate movies. Now they call them three colors, red, three colors, blue. But back then it was just it was like just blue. Red, white. Yeah. 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 Uh, composed by Hans Zimmer. Uh, we've talked about Hans Zimmer before. Uh, he's done Days of Thunder, Dunkirk, and he won an Oscar for The Lion King. Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, so Bruckheimer does pretty much every giant action film that you probably ever, that Michael Bay has done. Uh, that definitely Michael Bay is that anything you've seen he's done. I'm gonna give you his first two his first two producing credits: The Culpepper Cattle Company and Rafferty and the Gold Twi the Gold Dust Twins. Woo! Big time. Edited by Conrad Buff the Fourth. He won an Oscar for his editing in Titanic. He was also nominated for Terminator Two: Judgment Day. He did Spaceballs and Mystery Men, which is an episode we did on season five. And then also edited by Jamie Pearson, who has done the movie MI5 and Dream Horse. You have these numbers that you while you're staring at me, like you got these Anchorman numbers. For I do me. have these Anchorman Go numbers. Go for it. Go. All right. It's a $26 million budget, made 28 opening weekend. So it was a pretty oh, big hit. In yeah. your face. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> then why did it take them like 80 years to do the sequel? Because like, you got to wait up, for DVD look, sales. Well, look at all those people together. They had to get all those people together. Yeah, but I had heard they were also waiting for the DVD sales to be good. But it made 80 something total. I don't know. That's good for a comedy. Oh, whatever. <laughs> you ready? Are you done now? No, I'm not going to. We're not just the Anchorman. <laughs> it's, it's not a forgotten film, so we're never going to do Anchorman. <laughs> Clive Owen as Arthur. Uh, he is nominated for an Oscar for the movie Closer, or Closer, excuse me. He's also in Croupier, Gossard Park, and Children of Men, to name a few. Uh, how do you say this name? Ian Grufford? Ewan Grufford. Ewan Grufford. Plays Lancelot. He, did, he was in Fantastic Four, obviously. W, Ava, and Horrible Bosses. Mads Mikkelsen as Tristan. He's from the TV show Hannibal. Valhalla Rising, the movie, which is really good, and Mike's favorite, Casino Royale. Yeah. Joel Edgerton as Gawain. Gawain? Gawain. Gawain. Good job. I'm glad you're here. Uh, he was in <laughs> Warrior, Zero Dark Thirty, and he's the director of the movie The Gift that's starring Jason Bateman. Hugh Dancy is Galahad, and he is also at a Hannibal connection here. He's also on TV show Hannibal. And for those who don't know, I love the TV show Hannibal. Mike likes it. I like it. It's I will this is this is my hot take that Mads Mickelson's Hannibal is the best Hannibal ever to be performed on screen. Hands down. Hands Not down. even close. The best. <laughs> The best. After you watch his and then you go back and watch Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins is hamming it up. It's big tough. time. It's tough to watch 
network television now. Like yeah. when I watch it and like I'm like Hannibal is like streaming shows kind of come close to that quality, but the quality on Hannibal is fantastic. It's amazing. All fantastic. around. You should be all watching Hannibal. Anyways, Hugh Dancy's also in Confessions of a Shopaholic and more recently Late Night. Ray Winstone as Boars. He was in Sexy Beast, The Departed, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skull, and he's in the upcoming Black Widow. Is he the bad guy in Black Widow? Uh, I'm going to guess he's the bad guy. He's got some Russian name. <laughs> Ray Stevenson as Dagonet. Dagonet? Where are you on that? I'm on Dagonet. Okay. He's from the TV show Rome. He's in the Book of Eli and the other guys, another Will Ferrell film. Kira Knightley as Guinevere. She was nominated for two Oscars for Pride and Prejudice and The Imitation Game. She's also in Atonement. Stephen Delane as Merlin. He's in the Game of Thrones TV show. Uh, he plays Stannis, Stannis Baratheon. Yep. Yeah, I was getting there. And can't even recognize. When I saw that, I was like, holy crap. I couldn't figure out who he couldn't was. Couldn't recognize him. Dirty and yeah. painted and whatever. Weird. Yeah. He's also in Spy Game and Darkest Hours. Stellan Skarsgård as Sturdick. You don't really know his name. He's just known as the Saxon. Right. Uh, he is in Goodwill Hunting. He's also in the TV show Chernobyl, another great film, and Hunt for October. You arrogant ass. You killed us. Sorry, never mind. That, <laughs> that's from Hunt for October. Till Schweiger as Sinric, which I don't think you heard his name either. Either uh, his father yells his name. Does he? At okay. Some point. He is. Uh, is he Colonel Schlitz in *Inglorious Bastards*? Yep. yep. Uh, he's also in *Atomic Bond* and *The Red Baron*. All right. Who was going to direct this movie before Fuqua? Do you remember? Too bad I don't remember. Michael Bay. I'm glad. So this didn't. was going to be a Michael <laughs> Bay film, but he left because of budget concerns. Now, Butler. Last time I think I told you I had seen this, or maybe. Off air, I had seen this a long time ago, but I didn't remember a lot of it. Right. That's what it is what you told me. Yes. And I still, when I was watching it, I was like, I don't remember any of this. Well, originally you told me you didn't see it, but then I, you told I, me you had watched it. I'm going to guess I haven't uh, right now. I, I For some reason, because I thought I did. Okay. But I'm going to guess I haven't seen it. Well, then, whether you liked it or not, I'm really happy when I put a movie on the list that you haven't seen because you've seen so yeah. many. You're prolific in your movie watching, so that no, makes me happy. It uh, makes me happy, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I know what you're going to ask me. Did I like it? What did you think about the movie? Okay. So I, I, there, there are stuff, in, like the action stuff I really enjoy. Um, I think that there are certain moments in the movie that it slows down and it kind of brings the storytelling to a halt. That kind of bugged me. Um, but I know it needed to be there. In terms of developing the characters, I just didn't, I wasn't big on it. Okay. Uh, I like the action. The other thing that bothered me, and it, it really shouldn't bother me, but it, it does bother me looking back and watching the film, is that it's not accurate. Like, it's a different telling. It's a retelling of, like, he's a Roman now. And that bothers me. It does bother me, <laughs> because I just, it, just because King Arthur, and I don't know it as much as you probably do, mm -hmm. but just because the King Arthur legend is so prevalent and we always know we know about it and it's in you know you've seen all the movies about it and then they take it this way and it's just i don't know it just really kind of tweaks me a little bit and it kind of makes me look on this unfavorably but i put that to the side because i want to judge it on the movie in of itself so i do like the action quite a bit my stuff my my problem is the guinevere stuff is when I think it slows down. What do you think? You don't know she's Guinevere till the end. You mean you all get the idea because she's the only female in this movie. Plus that, all the advertisers were like Guinevere, right, but they, they show her never say her name in no. the movie until the end when she gets married to yeah, Arthur. Because she's just a filthy woe. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, which makes me laugh because they 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 find this dungeon and they go down there and it's like this you know disgusting dungeon and they got gross people down there. Everyone's dead and they just find her and miraculously. She's the most good-looking prisoner I've ever seen down there. <laughs> whoa, whoa, they're all rotted. You don't know if they were good-looking or she, not beforehand. And, and, and apparently all it takes is an unnecessary sponge bath to revive her. Because the next, because she she has this sponge bath scene and like like a full view of everybody and people are walking by. Oh, let me just, oh, yeah, thank you. And then like the next time you see her, she's in a large robe and she's walking the woods and she looks perfectly healthy. And it's just, what happened? What, what was this? Like, Can I get the sponge bath? <laughs> Well, go ahead. What do you give me some of your uh, your initial thoughts returning to have you have you not seen this since two thousand four? So I watched this in theaters. I'm almost positive, and then I bought the DVD, and then I was like, "Holy crap! This is not the movie I quite remember." Right, because uh, it's got so much added stuff, and yeah. and I watched the DVD for years. I did a five page paper on King Arthur based on this this movie and the historical stuff versus the mythology in high school, and then I did a twenty page paper. 
that I had to talk to in my speech class, public speaking class. Okay. So I did a 20-page paper on comparisons between history and fact from King Arthur. So I had watched it a bunch of times up to, I think, freshman year of college. Okay. And I haven't really watched it since then because after I did that, Oh, no, I did watch it again when I wrote a screenplay based on uh, it was like an Indiana Jones, King Arthur type adventure movie. So junior year of college was probably the last time. I, so uh, 10 years. OK. And um, I do agree that it slows down, but I also agree that you need that. I get you. And I do kind of like that the character development is a little further in, mm-hmm. but not quite at the end. But I, I like that you get the sense of the characters within the action instead of within just the beginning and the beginning being too slow. The The dialogue is what kind of gets me. In this okay. Now the dialogue, now that I'm watching it again, now having watched way more movies and taken all these classes and film, just listening to the dialogue feels stilted in quite a bit of the parts, mostly in the Clive Owen or the, the Arthur Guinevere conversation. Like it feels in a movie, like movie dialogue. It does. Right. And the Lancelot King Arthur friendship is, I don't like it at all, which I didn't really bother me before but now it's just like i don't get that they're close that they're friends <laughs> when they're in the stables when he finds out that they have one more mission to do and he tells them hey so you're not going to be you're not free whatever you're not whether well, samaritans or samaritans you're not free we got to go do this and and then uh lancelot approaches him in the stables and kind of challenges him a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> i thought they were gonna kiss <laughs> there was a moment where they got close and then i was like and i almost was like do it <laughs> <laughs> I think they, because in the original script, one of my notes here is, and you probably saw this already, is the original script, the love triangle between Arthur, Guinevere, and Lancelot was there. Mm-hmm. But Fuqua, in his research, the director, discovered that the love triangle was non-existent, so they took it out. And I think that's what we're seeing is the remnant of, well, then now what? what is Lancelot then? Like, what is Lancelot's connection then? That's the, yeah. you get that a lot. And I thought that actually, even when I watched this back in uh, high school, was they don't really develop that love triangle enough. And Lancelot doesn't have a lot to do. Lancelot doesn't have a lot to do. And with the exception of Boars and Dagonet, who have the brother, I would assume they're brothers. They're their friends. They're, 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 they're on the horse together when they get taken away. I think away, they're brothers. So I think they're, be, yeah. yeah, they have a connection together. So you do have some of their character arc in terms of when one gets hurt, just he's overly protective and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, Tristan and Galahad, they're just kind of, uh, and I can't remember the other character's name. Gawain. Gawain. They're just kind of there. Well, I think it's interesting that Boris and Dagonet, who are lesser known knights of the round table, get more screen time than knights like Gawain and Tristan and Galahad. Mm-hmm. Uh, because especially Gawain and Galahad have so many stories, at least in the Morte Arthur, like the big story about Arthur. They have so many stories where they go off on their own. There's a movie coming out called The Green Knight that's about one of them. Uh, who knows when the hell that's coming out now? <laughs> I think that's coming on PVOD. Oh, is it? I think. But they don't get as much screen time as Boris and Dagonet, which maybe it's because we can do whatever we really want with these guys because they're lesser known. And Gawain and Galahad are like, well, they're especially, I really believe Galahad is so honorable, like almost to the point of like, it's like a flaw, like Arthur, that it's like that would be double the same character. So instead they make Hugh Dancy's Galahad kind of a whiny crybaby who wears <laughs> shorts for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Isn't Galahad supposed to be Lancelot's son? Is that what I read? Is that not true? His son or his cuz he's related to Lancelot for sure. I don't believe he's his son. So just kind of guide me here in terms of the original legend. Like I understand that, you know, a kid really didn't pull a sword from a stone. I get that. Right. Uh but Try to guide me where... Which is not Excalibur, by the sword of the stone is a different sword. Uh, uh, <laughs> Anyways, I don't care. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the stuff that's of legend, mm-hmm. we're, we're ignoring in this movie. Well, right? we, make, we make allusions to... Are, are the, is this stuff has already supposed to have happened? Or it's going to happen? Or is the legend of Arthur hasn't happened yet. This okay. story takes place hundreds of years before the legend of King Arthur beca- uh, takes hold. Before the Knights of the Round Table, before which the, they actually before have Before the mytholo- mythological story, yeah. So right. they're saying that there really was a guy named something Arturius something. I yeah. don't have the note in front right. of me. That sounds accurate. <laughs> but his name was Arturius, and he was a Roman cavalry officer who was stationed at Hadrian's Wall. Apparently, he was very honorable, had a lot of medals, and everybody believes that that was what the myth of King Arthur was like because that was the first like good dude from Rome. From Rome, and from this is before really all the families kind of started to take over bits and pieces of uh, what's now England. Right. So then the legend spawns from that and the characters come from there. I mean, Lancelot was probably someone else 
uh, of a very a very different name, mm-hmm. and was also a good night. And some of these nights were just good people, or or based on good nights or good good people that ended up getting collected within Arthur's legend as it grew and grew and grew. Even the the most popular one, the Morte Arthur, which I referenced before, that story is not even the first Arthur story, and that tale is expanded upon by hundreds and hundreds of pages from the original works of uh, Arthur, from the stories and songs up to now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, basically, they just go, hey, there was Arthur who's on Hadrian's Wall. This is what was happening back then, and let's pepper in bits and pieces of who the other knights might have been back then. Okay. So they, the everything else is based on historical fact, but maybe not actual people. Okay. Well, then let's we'll move on from that because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, con- consistently compare this to like what really happened or what it's about because that's that, that's right. unfair to the movie. But I do think some of like I think Tristan has, although he doesn't have a lot to do story wise, I think he's a very developed character, which might be Mads. I know that um, from watching the documentary, I guess Antoine Fuqua was very. Much like, hey guys, create your knight. I want your knight to be very different. And I think they succeed in terms of the action and their fighting personality, maybe, but not so much their characters. But I think Mads does a great job making Tristan very different, very much there to die. Like he wants to die, but he wants to die well. He has the falcon. He, when know. he hops off his horse to fight, he sits there and waits for it to come to him. Exactly. Right, like yeah. he wants to die, but he wants to die artfully. He wants a he wants a great competitor, which right. is why he finally gets to get killed by. Uh, Cerdic, uh, yeah, and he's just kind of like okay, which I, I I love that fight, and I love the way he the style of his fighting, and I think he's one of the most interesting of the knights without having anything to do with. Him. Well, that might be also because they added they put all this stuff in there. They might not have put all that stuff in there from from you know Hugh Dancy doing Galahad or Joel Edgerton doing Ga- Gawain. Gawain, yeah. Gawain. Um, so you know, there's there's that to be said. Like you know, they might have put all that on screen, but. He might not have chose to keep it on there. It probably didn't fit or something. Maybe, like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the I most he get about Galahad is he really wants to go home, and he's. But yeah. he also seems like the youngest of the, of the. Crew. Yeah, they didn't really. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, it just a lot of times it felt like, uh, this is the crew who's gonna die. It, you know what I mean? It felt like. A lot of times when Arthur was talking to them, even though I know that he was always saying, you know these, you know. I'm with you. You're my brothers. Right. It always felt he was talking down to them. Like he always was always not just in terms of his tone. It never felt like, like me and you talking now is a conversation. Right. But it, like if I was talking like, uh, like, like I'm talking over you, like I'm just kind of, I'm just spouting and I'm not really, we're not conversing. Yeah. You never, he's, I mean, you get him in a bad time. So you get him at this time when his knights aren't really too fond of him. You get him at this time when he's learned that uh, his Pelagius, Pelagius, oh Pelagius, Pelagius yeah. is no longer teaching because he was excommunicated and executed for his teachings on free will. And they kept showing that kid that tells him that the son of the Roman honorarius or whatever his name mm-hmm. is. They show him constantly. Where I thought, like at some point, this kid was going to do something that was, I don't know. A little bit more forceful to the story. Instead, he just drops the knowledge that, oh, no, he's dead. See you later. Well, then King Arthur sends him off to kind of show what you've learned. And I I didn't write this down, and I can't find my old history report, but I'm pretty sure that that kid becomes somebody uh, later on or is based on someone that actually expounded the ideas of of free will over slavery. I love the fact that when his father gets, you know, bowed, that his mother and him, don't really seem to care. They're like, good. Yeah. Well, he's kind of a dick. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, no, absolutely. But so I, yeah, I do agree ahead. with you with Arthur talking over people as well, though. He he does throughout the entire movie. Clive Owen does imbue him with this air of superiority. Right. Over everybody. Like because he's a, a good person and because he believes in free will, he kind of lords it over people. Right. Not maybe in a purposeful way. Like he, I don't think he means it, but he does think he's better than oh. everybody. I mean, kind of because he is, <laughs> but well, he's got he that air of, kind of superiority that they that, you know, that is always prevalent. In right. Roman and he's officers. always thought of going to Rome and being something important and, and being celebrated. And, right. And so but with this story, obviously, that is, you know, he his mentor his um, I guess his mentor is killed, is murdered, somebody that he doesn't is dead. So basically, at the end of the movie, he turns his back on the Roman Empire. and He basically is going to become part of England. He's and they call him the King King Arthur and he's going to run England, whatever. Right. But he never really 
has that moment where he says that in the movie where he says he's just saying like, you know, I've got to fight the Saxons. I can't leave them to kill all these people. But he never says that, that these are my people, that this is my country, that I may not be from here, but I will protect it like I am from here because this is where my heart is. Like he never says anything like that. I feel like because we get Guinevere and Merlin say it 80 times that we don't really need uh, him to say it. Yeah. You just kind of get it. And then he kind of has stumbled into the leadership role because they don't have one. And just by leading the army, it's like, well, that guy. Yeah. Because even Merlin, who's supposed to be the leader, goes, they need a strong leader. Yeah, it's not like, like me. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I know that whenever it needs to be in the story, but when she shows up, it really it disrupts the flow of the story of the care of the storytelling. Her whole character just disrupts everything. I'm OK with her joining the the woads or the picts and well she's clearly one of them right right right. um but i don't think the love i've never thought the like i said with the love triangle the love story between arthur and guinevere is just so tacked on it's so sudden and so unnecessary they can have these conversations about free will and what's right and wrong and whether he's a Briton or a roman but you don't need that undercut of that romance with it because i feel like that undercuts the lesson that he's supposed to learn and if this was Clearly supposed to lead to sequels, I would imagine the way they end it. I know, but but they were but they're married. Not to cut you off, but they're not married. When they get married at the end of the movie, which is a different ending, and we'll get to that. Right. It's not because I don't I don't get the sense it's because they love each other. I no, mean, they might care for each other because they have to. They're getting married to connect the woads or the picks with whatever. Which, if you watch Game of Thrones field, you'll know that happens all the time. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's not earned, and it didn't need to be earned, and I didn't. You don't need to see them get married. I mean, if you know the story, you know it's going to happen. So I'm okay with them leaving it open at that point. He's just become the king. Yeah. Well, and, and also he's 40 and she's 18. Is that what's supposed? To, is that the difference in oh, ages? No, I'm sorry. He's 39 and she's 17. That's in the when movie? they filmed it. Oh, no. when they filmed it. Oh. But I mean, even in, even in real life, that's probably how it would have worked. Well, actually, 40 would have been like she was 17 in this movie. She's 17 when they filmed it. Yeah. But on that's, screen, but on screen, she's got the air listen, of a woman. Karen that's, a, that's an absolute. She, she's she's. Not, I'm not taking anything away from her acting chops. It's great, but come on, man, come on, come on, Bruckheimer. That's not. I didn't even know that. Whew. No, 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 no. That is not. Come on. This is why. This is why you get a bad rap, people. <laughs> All right. With so. In terms of the story, it, it, there's two, another thing that and I want to ask you if you felt this way. I feel like they got to the end of the second act and they were like, now what? Like, because you knew the Saxon army was coming. Mm-hmm. You know, the Saxon army was obviously going to be the third act is going to be the big battle. Oh, yeah. But I, I felt like there was like 15 to 20 minutes where they got to a point and they were it almost like I almost felt like one of the characters was going to turn to the break the fourth wall and be like, um, we'll just wait for the Saxons to get here now. So because we kind of wrap this up a little early. Now, well, I guess we'll have some talking scenes. Like, that, did you get that sense? Um, I I got that the Saxons get there real quick. I would have liked more. I mean, we're already watching a long movie with the extended cut. Yeah. I would have liked more than what we just got with the Knights. You get Boars kind of throwing Dagonet's freedom papers down on the ground. Which is a like great he's scene. already free. And right. he's great. He, uh, Way Winstone is also great as Boars. He interviews a lot of over-the-top personality. Well, that scene where uh, Dagonet gets killed is a good scene when they're on the ice. I, uh, that, that's, a, that's a nice scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, that has a line that I really like when when uh, Lancelot turns to Guinevere and he's like, there's a large number of lonely men out there. And she goes, don't worry, I won't let them rape you. Which is different because in the PG-13 version, she goes, I won't let them hurt you. Oh, that's <laughs> a great line. Don't let them rape you is a better line. Yeah. I like, I like you can't kill them. They're out of range. Yeah. Then all three of them hit everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's good too. But no, the ice, the ice scene is really great. But I, I really felt like you needed more where I know you get boars crying and drinking at Dagonet's grave, but just how the other knights are dealing with are they're going to leave this land that they've grown up on, mm-hmm. that they've defended. And mm-hmm. you don't really get enough of of that, I feel like I know they keep saying it, but they're not showing it. No, I agree. Say sh- show, don't tell. Uh, I got you. Give me a five minute scene of them discussing. We're going home, but isn't this our home? Isn't this what we fought? Isn't this what? Look at all those seats at that round table. 30 of their yeah. brothers have died for and they're just going to leave it to the Saxons. Like I would have liked a scene where they're a little more hesitant to leave that Boar's children are born on this. Like we're born in Britain. Yeah. They're Britons. His his quote unquote wife he hasn't married. She's a Britain. It's that, like that's a whole, I love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Who says I want it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so some, what is it? Some Martian? Some, some, some Martian. Was that yeah. a real place? I guess so. I don't really know much about. Yeah. I so mean, it's, it's Russia. It's. Oh, is that really? Oh, it's what is okay. now Russia. Yeah. Okay. Oh, That's why they've got very Eastern kind of uh, Genghis Khan, like Tristan's very Genghis Khan. Right, all, right, right. Nice, nice. Okay, I mean, that, that's that's good. I like that. A um, couple of things in terms of just, I guess, facts. Hadrian's Wall is a replica that is a kilometer long and 40 feet high and took 300 crew members to build. Foucault wanted something that was more tangible that mm-hmm. they could walk on and he didn't want to use CGI, which well done because no, absolutely not. Right. He wanted something he put his cameras on. He could film over. Yes. Absolutely. Now, oh, that, that scene where they open the door. Well, here's the thing with the I door that they, they when the horse and they have the thing and it opens up. Yeah. But then at the end of the movie, that door opens up like it's on an electric uh, timer. Like there's nobody there. And it's just like, boot, boot, yeah. boot. like what the happened? Door that was so heavy before. Yeah. And it's closed when that guy runs through it after the battle. It closes on him. Yeah. And then in the next shot, it shows the uh, the Saxons talking. The door is wide open. There's no doors. <laughs> yeah. And then again, it's closed. And then again, during the battle, it's completely There's open. some inconsistencies with the door at Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> but the wall itself is impressive. During the fight scenes, they had they used 18 cameras. They had a cameraman dressed as an extra and walking around. Um, and it's, and I believe this cameraman is the same one that was wearing a motorcycle helmet. And sometimes, so some, some of the action films, you had a cameraman wearing a motorcycle helmet and he had a, the crew around him with riot shields during the action scenes. Because basically people were just going at it and mm-hmm. they, they were shooting everything. So they have the huge fight scenes. They have 18 cameras. They got cameras mounted on shields, mounted on swords, mounted on horses. And I could just imagine like, okay, action, kill each other, go. And like, it was just that. Well, because they, they had so many, so many extras. I know the, the costume designer said they had over 2,000 costumes designed for the film. So most of it had to be that final battle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that they had the, all the extras had to come early for like weeks and start doing military drills, military training, learning how to sword fight because they were just going to be kind of unsupervised fighting each other. So they had ranks, they had divisions, they had, they had all that. Mm-hmm. And they basically became a small army of well, reenactors. You have to. You have to do it that way almost. Uh, because it's the only way you're going to keep everyone like safe. Well, safe, but also correctly. just understanding where everyone's going to be organized. That's the word I'm looking they for. They taught them Saxon words as well. So that they would, yep. when they were shouting, they'd shout actual Saxon. I actually like Skarsgård's portrayal of Surtur because it, uh, the note I have is like he's, he's bored killing, but it's what it does. And like that's how he plays the entire movie. It's just like, ugh, why am I here? Yep. And, and then he like is so, so rough on his kid. It's, it's that's just great. Well, I love his relationship with his kid because he should be killing his kid after all these failures. Even his kid knows that. And he's always like, no, no, which makes his kid even like more angry. And I love when he demotes his kid, like you should kill me father. And he just cuts his face and then demotes him and yeah. tells the other guy, you've always been like a son to me. <laughs> and the other guy kills one of his lieutenants. He stabs that dude. He's just sitting there. Like that guy is just chilling by the fire. And then Sarsgaard is just and, laughing about it. Yeah. And like his son kills him because he got demoted. And yeah, and Sardik's like, <laughs> like, damn, they're bad. People. Yeah. Oh, they're so Saxon. I love like when you first meet the Saxons, like one of them is uh, trying to rape a woman and uh, you know, Sardik comes in and he like, Tells me basically is like don't mix up your blood is pure don't don't mix with that yeah what kind of bit, what kind of offspring would yeah that, it, and then she's all like thank you shut up you know what's coming next yeah. he's gonna just kill crawl you. away crawl yeah, away yeah, no kill the girl yeah <laughs> I love that I love how how we're good old Catholics putting people in dungeon temples that's great great stuff oh great I, stuff. I have that note a bunch of times yeah yeah that's fantastic listen <laughs> medieval times man they're not great that's why they're called medieval times <laughs> I love the dialogue between Arthur and Serdic too at the uh when they raise a white flag and they talk to each other. The only thing about that, I like that scene too. Mm-hmm. But the only thing about that scene I like is get off the damn horse. What? I, I'm sorry, but so move, they'll get off the horse. When they filmed that scene, Clive Owen was pissed originally because the horse kept moving and he right. wasn't able to do the dialogue the way he wanted to do it. And Antoine Fuqua said, no, we're not doing it again. I like that. I like the horses moving. That's, that's real. That's, it's not, flashy or anything like that and he's like look at the scene like he sort of tries to touch the horse and it backs away he Fuqua really liked the scene and Clive Owen had wanted to do it again yeah. but after he watched it he was like oh, all right I'm with Clive Owen no get off the horse because there's no we just talked about how in this movie there it's very cinematic and they're staged it's like just get off the horse like, make off. your big speech it's it's to me it was distracting it was very distracting it is a little yeah. distracting I, I I'm I didn't hate it, but I also was like, hmm, could have done one more scene. If you want him on the horse, get well, the horse to stay put. You're the actor. 
I've never had to be on a horse. But would though. you have? Would you have been like, come on, man, I can't. Uh, you know, uh, if the director liked it, I, I would have done what the director wanted in the you end. Bitch. And if that's, <laughs> I mean, you got to imagine if he really liked that scene, he's gonna use you. that shot anyway. I got no say in what shot he uses. I got you. I so. don't. Right after that, though, they kill the traitor with the magic bow. Right, I hate that. I uh, hate uh, yeah. that shot. Yeah, I, there's, there's that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand. I mean, it's like, ah, it's like, but why? You didn't know he, you knew he was in the tree. Yeah, you, uh, I mean, you knew about him in general. Yeah, did the the hawk tell you? I mean, yeah, no. I, it's an eight mile shot directly into his heart, <laughs> <laughs> in the only tree in that land. Yeah, that was a little, little, little too much. Um, as almost as a little too much as the sensual sponge bath that you know makes uh, Guinevere revive with the see through tent. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, uh, I need to clean you. We'll make sure the see-through tent's open. No, no, of course, of course. The guys have to see you. It's fine. It's, I understand <laughs> Only Lancelot, <laughs> and then he looks shyly away, but then he looks back and just stares. <laughs> I have she, to I go. Caught. I, I should go. Watch I should go kiss Arthur. Uh, I love. I love when he's like rain and snow at once. It's a bad omen. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's slush, it sucks. Can't ride. Can't drive. Can't that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of times, this movie felt like, uh, like. A story arc of King Arthur was he was consistently having a crisis of conscience. Like that's this whole movie feels like. This is King Arthur's giant. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I? What do I really mean? Like, like that's what it felt like. Does that you think that's accurate? I think that's accurate. Okay. I mean, I think you put it in a I'm kind of negative kind of way. Well, yeah, well, because it's distracting. I like I like that though. I like that he's a man who with with clear morality clear right versus wrong, clear free will for his people. And he's been fighting for 15 years, watching all these people. He was, he's supposed to die in their place. Kind of is what he's told. Right. Right. And they're all pretty much dead. Which that, that moment when he yells up, I, I not to cut you off. again. Doesn't. That moment when Lancelot dies. Sorry guys. That moment when Lancelot <laughs> dies, he's going to be bad. That felt bad. That felt fake. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's crap dialogue. Yeah. That's why I said, I think some of the writing lines, yeah. lines are too Shakespearean, which is kind of, cheesy in this point right so do you know who Fuqua wanted to play Arthur no so Fuqua wanted this actor to play Arthur but Bruckheimer wanted Clive Owen because he thought Clive Owen was going to be cast as Bond and it would be good for the movie so who do you think Fuqua wanted think about who was cast as Bond <laughs> oh he wanted Daniel Craig <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oops <laughs> Daniel Craig was in a kid in King Arthur's court yeah oh uh, yeah so he wanted Craig to play Arthur, but Bruckheimer wanted Owen because he was no one's going to be the new James Bond. Uh oh. <laughs> Would you have liked that? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, to be, I like Clive Owen quite a bit. So do I. Because Clive Owen is not—he's a leading man, but he's—I find I feel that he is like a leading man from a different decade. Like he's that kind of leading man. Like he—oh, oh, he's absolutely a black and white movie star yes, kind of thing. But he's—he's—he's he's a, he's, he's a regular guy. He's a rough guy. He's not. He's not like a movie star. I know he is, but you know what I mean? He's not like a movie star celebrity. He is, right. a, he is a movie star who is a, a good actor and he can he can do he can do big movies and he can do small movies. Right. I don't know if you've seen a lot of Clevo and I have. I've that's why. Yeah, no, yeah. he's that's why I want you to watch Croupier. But he is he is just to me, he's really, really good. I don't think he's in enough. I think I wish he was in more stuff. But um, I actually think he would have been the better choice here than Daniel Craig. I think Daniel Craig is a little too refined. Daniel Craig's definitely a little more refined. Daniel Craig's also a little rough around the edges at times, though, too. But I like Daniel Craig in um, Munich a lot. Um, his role in Munich, I like. He's good in Munich. Yeah. He's he's great in Defiance. I mean, he plays these kind of... Morally ambiguous. Morally, yeah, 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 but yeah. I don't... What I also like about Clive Owen and this character is Arthur. With that red cape and his hair, he's, he's basically British Superman, almost. Yeah. And I think that really works for the Arthur they're portraying. Sure. And as Daniel Craig, I'd always have that air of... Enjoying the killing part of it, mm -hmm. like I'd get that, which is great for Bond and makes him my favorite, which is why he's my favorite Bond. Well, I he's going to be work with Arthur. The thing with Bond is that he is going to be, um, he is still going to be doing like he won't be just remembered as Bond because he has still got the chops to do. You know, we just saw him in Knives Out to do other things. Oh, for sure. So yeah. like, well, someone like Roger Moore will always just be Bond. You right. Know what I mean, like you. Even Connery was able to get away from Bond. Like Craig like will be the able only to, two, really. Yeah, yeah. Craig will be able to get away from Bond a lot easier. Even well, what's his face? Um, who played Bond? The the, the short. Oh, he was in um, Dalton. Yeah, even Timothy Dalton's kind of 
You've seen him in other stuff. He's done a ton of stage yeah, stuff, but so, yeah, he's yeah. he's done guest starring roles in but, movies but and stuff like that. Yeah. I think Craig will be able to obviously will be able to move on beyond that because he can. I think he already has. Oh no, like, I, you, I, like I you agree said with Knives you. Out and yeah. Defiance and, well, and the well, fact that it takes like five years for a Bond to get made too. Right. But no, I think I think Clive Owen's the right choice for this. I absolutely agree. All right then. <laughs> so let's talk about what's let's talk about what's uh the the change of the ending um okay for the original ending so the the ending of this movie which is the ending in the theatrical as well was that they get married at the end and they they fire off arrows into the water i guess and yeah he says i am king arthur it's king arthur and you know Arthur's gonna go on and whatever they raise their swords and it's very it's, it's like at stonehenge and it's very medieval it's very tacked on and yeah. weird and obviously it feels that way the original ending there was a scene at on the battlefield when Lancelot dies and, and we talked about how Arthur comes over and screams to the God and then, then Merlin shows up and has a little monologue and talks about, you know, that he hasn't because Owen's big thing is like he failed his knights. He should have been dead, not them. And Merlin says, no, 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 it's cool. Um, you, you didn't fail your knights. Uh, and then after that, there's a funeral. There's a funeral scene where Boar's Winston's character gives a nice monologue. And there's another scene where... Uh, there's something with Excalibur being removed from a stone. Uh, there's a scene with uh, Lucan. Does that make sense to you? There's the scene. Did you watch it? Or yeah. you just no, it? no, I'm reading it. I didn't watch oh, it. Oh, okay. It's, it's on the DVD. Oh, watch it. Tell me what it is. Then. So basically, Arthur's like, uh, it should have been me. It was my fate. I was supposed to share your fate. And Merlin comes over and goes, no fate is shared. No fate is shared. And tells it to each and every night. It's all bloodied and stuff. And just walks away like a crazy man. Peace out. Yeah. And they're just like looking at you like, what? <laughs> and they burn... Lancelot and uh, Tristan's body, just yep. like they do in the other one, the holes in the ground. And Boris comes over to Arthur and says, "You, you were never supposed to share our fate. You did what you were supposed to do. You, you completed your mission, basically." And the other knights come over and agree. Even Galahad comes over and nods because he's a little bitch. And <laughs> uh, and then they kind of walk away. And then Guinevere comes over to him and and says, "You know, this is your land now. You're king, basically." And they hold hands and go, we're going to unite the, we're going to unite England. We're going to push back. We're going to create a new land where my Rome can't exist, basically. And then the camera pans out and he looks toward the sky and the sky is very lit, like a paint, like an oil painting kind of a thing. And that's how it ends. And then the British Empire was born. Yeah. Not, neither, ending and then, is, neither ending is great. And then Gwyneth goes, I got to go to high school because, you know, I'm not uh, of age yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll go graduate. Yeah, basically, I have written down. All right, now it's time for the Crusades. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's, seriously, it's time for all men to be free. We're gonna stop. Let's go attack. Muslims. We're gonna stop these people that have forced their own religion on us and have enslaved us and told us that they're gods. And we're gonna do the very same thing. Let's go. Woo! Let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, shut up! It's right. This is what we're doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fuqua didn't like that. Uh, didn't like the new ending. I guess he. I guess they didn't like the. He prefers the original darker ending. To what? Whatever. I find both endings to be yeah, a little, little meh. Yeah. I mean, but how are you going to end it? Oh, oh, and the little kid also. Before what is that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the little kid who Dagonet was protecting the whole time. Right. Okay. Now has his ring uh, as the necklace. Okay. Goes over to his grave and tries to pull like in like a fit and tries to pull his sword out of the uh, mound, just like Arthur did when he was a kid yeah. and tried to save his mother. So this kid's trying to pull the sword out, but he's too small. And Arthur goes, no. One day you'll come back for it. One day when you're ready. Yeah. And then he looks up to the sky, and that's kind of how. Then he's like, "I'll do it." Yeah. I, if there's nothing I know, I know about pulling swords out of things, man. I was waiting for him to name the kid Mordred and be like, "Ooh." <laughs> I like the fact that they showed the other graves, and they were all smoking. Like they had the little, um, if you notice in the background when they were burying the two bodies, they're, they're burning them. That they obviously the other graves have little. It was almost like a little pipe thing, mm -hmm. and they must have burned them all. But then covered them in dirt, but they keep the thing, and you just see the smoke rising. I, oh, I thought yeah. I I liked that little touch little, to it. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I like this movie. Would you have liked it more if they cut out some of the, the things that they had cut out or changed some of the dialogue and stuff like that? See, because like you I, saw the list on IMDb. Yeah, I, I just think it needs a lot more. Like I know that I. I really think like we talked about like whenever your stuff needs to be addressed a mm -hmm. bit, it needs to be she needs to be in it a little bit better than she is I, I don't mind that you find her 45 minutes into the movie but like you don't really you need something more substantial with yeah, her. yeah and you don't really explain the woes too much they're, they're there 
you don't really understand the battle between them. Like they, they, you know, beyond the wall. Like you don't really get that. They oppose the Roman rule. I, okay, but I, I don't know. I just you it, don't really get the sense that the roads are are weak or that they're or sure too strong or who Merlin is. I guess in that case, yeah. I mean, I get their deal, but yeah, I don't get who they really are and in general. We haven't even talked about the fact that Lancelot's the narrator. And he's yeah. dead. He's a dead. Well, no, he's a horse now. Uh, yeah. What is that? But yeah, I don't like that Lancelot scenario. Yeah, I, I, I get that. It's like, oh, you threw me off the trail. And he, and he's in the beginning. He narrates the beginning, and you, he's, and then he disappears for uh, at least an hour and a half, an hour and forty five minutes of the movie. Well, he bookends it. Yeah. Yeah, I did not. I, I don't like narration. I, we've talked about that before. I don't podcast. think narration is. The narration is only there to give you the history lesson. Mm-hmm. Which, if Lancelot did that history lesson, that'd be fine because he's not telling the story; he's just doing a history. It's an lesson. exposition dump, right? About who the Sarmatians are. Yeah. But then you get him as a kid, you get all that stuff. You're fine. Like you don't need anything else. He doesn't need to say. The only other reason he's doing that bookend is to say the thing about the horses. So you Na- have that last yeah. shot. Narration is often uh, is often in movies put in after the fact or put in because we don't, we need to explain it a little bit more. A focus group didn't understand something. So let's narrate it. Let's well, like talk all the time about the Blade Runner thing. Yeah. Uh, Harrison yeah. Ford hated it so much. He did it bad on purpose. And I everybody don't, hated it. I don't like narration. I, I, I've never it's been a, a fan of it. If you can't tell your story visually, I mean, you're in a visual medium that that's the whole purpose of the visual medium is to show your, is tell your story visually. If you can't do it, get out. <laughs> right. Or at least do something clever in terms of your yeah. dialogue. I only, I, I don't mind like character. Like I love character thoughts. That's fine. I even love, Oh man, I can't think of the movie, but I love when character thoughts, when they're talking to you, but they're, they're disrupted by the flow of the movie. So oh, like, it's like you, the one we just did. Uh, yeah. What, what was, I'm trying to think the limo driver one. Oh, stretch. stretch yeah. yeah. Stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he's just like, and then there's like, holy shit. Yeah. yeah like yeah. that stuff I like. Cause right. that's, that's more in tune with what's on screen, but straight up narration bugs, bugs the crap out of me. And narration by a dead guy bugs you. Even oh, more. that was when he died. I was like, cause I forget. I forgot. And I know oh, yeah, yeah. it's two, right. two and a half hour movie. And then he's dead. I'm like, and then he's dying. And then he's dead. I'm like, oh, and then like two minutes later, I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't he narrating the story? <laughs> <laughs> and then like they show the horses. I'm like, now they're horses. And I love the fact that the horses are the one that tells them. Like, no, 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 we got to go fight when they're trying. They're walking away and the horse is like, oh, like, yeah. no, no, jerk bitches. Let's go. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, shit, wait, yeah. if our horses are, are ba- our horses are more badass than us. My horse just called me out, dude. I can't yeah, sit I, here. Let's yeah, go. Go now let's take 20 minutes to actually gear up. <laughs> I love I really like the the horse get ups they have. I like the, all the horses have their own personality as well. with Their headdresses yep. and stuff. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. yeah. The costuming in this movie is really good. No, I, I mean. There's there's a lot of things I like about it. I think my biggest thing is just story development. And like I said, I know that whenever it needs to be in the story, I just her intro slowed the pace, I thought. And it was when it just kind of affected the storytelling overall. I thought there was. A, I don't know. I don't have an answer to what, what would be a better they, way to do they it. They spend too much time yeah. at the estate. Yeah. Because they go to the estate, they come back to the estate and they're still at the estate, even though they've already been told Saxons are coming. Yeah. They kind of spread it into two sections. The freeing the elder and then going into the tomb. They yeah. could have been one, one section. They're already curious about the tomb. As soon as they walk in there, mm-hmm. he could have clearly smacked the elder down, mm-hmm. turned and gone. All right. Now what the hell is up with that? But they didn't. Instead, they make it last 20 minutes. I don't know about 20 and, minutes, oh, 10 minutes. long. And they go to rescue this family because the Saxons are coming, but like you, you, they never show up and you don't really get the Saxons till the end. So it's almost like a separate movie to go get the people come back, have this like crisis of conscious part of the movie. And then, oh, wait a minute. Now I got to fight the Saxons. Well, the Saxons show up. Oh, they show up. They free, the, they free the priests again. They free the priests. Right, right. No, I, I get you. But like they never fight them. You know, you oh, know what I, I mean? I like, got that, you. Yeah. That kind of thing. They, they do fight them on the lake. But that's just They really get away kinda, real quick for like, yeah. hey, we got to go now. And then Arthur takes way too long to leave. There's, oh, let me put it this way. There's really no threat of them. You know, uh, e- arriving. Yeah, there's. I barely felt no threat of them, and like Dagonet's death is just—it's almost one of those deaths where it, characters are so willing to die. You know what I mean? Like when he runs, like oh, and he's gonna start chopping dice. You, you know that okay, he's dying. Like that's the only reason he's doing that. He kind of signals that he's gonna die to begin with, because a he's the one that seems the most honorable and the one that seems the most 
what Arthur says will do. Right. And then he sees the little kid and he's like helping the little kid out. And you're just like, well, this movie, somebody's got to die. Mm-hmm. And you know that, okay, now let's pull on some heartstrings. You gave this, it's almost like when you have a dog in a movie, you know that dog's going to die. Of course. To, you gave that guy a little kid, that guy's got to die. Yeah. Uh, and I absolutely, they can get rid of the sex scene. The sex scene is not really in the PG. It's not in the theatrical movie, yeah. cut. I know it's and it's it's in the director's cut, but it's put later. Um, but it's un it's and it's interrupted, unneeded. <laughs> it's not needed. It's not. It doesn't. It's not that like you know. This isn't. I don't care. I don't need this. That's the whole thing. Is the romance yeah. is un unearned. Yeah. This isn't Top Gun. I don't. You know, I don't. I don't need it. <laughs> and right yeah. before they're doing it, like she still kind of seems like she had feelings for Lance a lot, which again is that love triangle thing that's just there yeah. for no reason. I kept in. So that part is meh. I would much rather have the love trial between Lancelot and Arthur. <laughs> I just would. It's just it would be much more interesting than this. It, was, it, it, it would it would fit within the Roman times. It, that's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Go uh, for it. I also really love the music in this movie. It, yeah, well, it's Hans Zimmer. It's and Hans you, Zimmer, but it's not overly oh, drummy. It's very fantastic it's very ethereal but i hear i don't i couldn't quite place it but there were a lot of familiar notes in this it's got a lot of lying maybe yeah but i was thinking maybe it's in a lot of trailers too uh it's probably been used again before or again after that for other fantasy so i I definitely hear a lot but no i agree with you it's it's really good um but yeah so so did you say you would recommend it to people is that what you said i didn't say that yet would you recommend it anyway yeah I like this movie quite a bit. Do you think that people that are into the King Arthur legend would like this movie or would they not like it? I did. I've always really like, I don't like. You're okay with the changes. Yeah. I don't like fantasy things that much. The only fantasy, I mean, I like the Lord of the Rings movies. I don't like the Hobbit movies. Nobody likes the Hobbit movies. (laughs) But I'm not really big into like Dungeons and Dragons types, type stories. Like I'll play video games of them and stuff like that, but I'm not like. I'm more of a space kind of guy, like sure. Star Wars, Star Trek. For some reason, I was always into King Arthur. Yeah. Ever since I was a little kid, I love the Sword in the Stone movie. I love all the King Arthur, well, Kid and King Arthur. Who doesn't want to? Who doesn't dream of becoming a king after being a pauper? Right. And like a good king, uh, not like a well, crap king. You'd like to think you'd movies. become a good king, but we never know. Well, yeah. And his Knights of the Round Table and all the ideas of King Arthur are really great. The sure. story, and as you grow up and you read a little more at the Arthur, like I did. And the idea of like Mordred and uniting the kingdoms and the lady in the lake is, is gives him Excalibur and it's all different swords. And like, wow, that this is really cool and really fleshed out universe for something that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. This movie presents it like here's possibly real life. And I think maybe you have to like history. Maybe you can't just like King Arthur, because if you only like fantasy tales, this is going to disappoint you because mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, it's like when people watch Game of Thrones and really want more dragons and magic and they get a lot of more political intrigue and more historical type battles. It's like, no, it's War of the Roses. It's not Lord of the Rings. And right. People are like, ugh. Yeah. We're like, because that was the whole meme a long time ago was like, Daenerys and her dragons, where are the dragons? When are the dragons coming? Can we get to the dragons? Yeah. It's like, that's not what it's about. And that this is not about that kind of fantasy stuff. This is about, let's take the tale of King Arthur, slap it on a historical drama, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I really like it for that. And it tells a time and period or time and period in history where you don't really see a lot. You don't you get Rome at its height, like in Gladiator, or you get the Middle Ages. You don't really get this the kind of, of in between Hadrian's Wall kind of look to history. Um, although there is now a German television show on Netflix that looks pretty good called Barbarians that I want to watch that takes place during that. Because you're really gonna like watch that. that. Who, who are we kidding? You're not watching that. I watched the trailer. Does that count? Maybe you had major back surgery or something. You had nothing else to do. You'll get to it, but you're not right, getting to it. In the back. Let's go. <laughs> Does that mean I don't have to go to work anymore? Well, if you think we're not recording podcasts, you got nothing coming. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got plenty of time to watch the movies. Uh, but yeah, I think people that like historical dramas would like it. Maybe people like King Arthur, but like you said, you were put off by that. I just it was tough for me to to reconcile that fact that I, what I've read and seen and, and heard is is completely different than this and i didn't know if i could i don't know if i bought in all the way uh, that's all uh, but i had to like i said i had to separate that and and kind of go at it from the movie in and of itself why do you think it's forgotten i think i have said this before and i'm gonna say it again because we said it during last summer i think historical dramas like this that take place this long ago and nights and stuff like that that's just not what people are consuming now i think people are consuming their blockbusters as or 16 years ago well, 16 years ago, this did well. 
2004? Overseas. Yeah. That's because it's a King Arthur tale, so it right. did well in England. I think that... People this is before Iron Man. This is before superheroes. All right. that nonsense. Not nonsense, but all those movies. I think, uh, well, in the in the States, I really feel like this is not a good July movie. Like we said, Agreed. it's cold. It's something about England when you really just want something that would be like America, rah, rah, rah kind of a movie. That's Fourth of July in America. That's big budget. Agreed. You know, you want something like that or you want a big American. You want Men cast. in Black. You want like the big Will Smith movie that comes out every. Yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. You want your big American guy up there and you yeah. don't get that in this. And I think that hurts. It. I think if this came out in March, this came out in November, this would be a great Thanksgiving movie. Mm-hmm. And the, the big Thanksgiving temple. But instead it was summertime. And immediately that means it made no money. It wasn't very well reviewed. So I feel like then nobody felt like they needed to come back to it. Sure. And so that it just kind of got, it just got forgotten with the wayside. A week after this, Will Smith came out with a movie and everybody was like, yeah, Will. <laughs> Were they like that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I think that's probably why it was forgotten. And I don't think people are really that into big budget historical dramas. And they haven't been for quite some time. Cause this is also around a few years after last samurai as well this is in the middle of lord of the rings and i feel like people probably wanted that <laughs> <laughs> they wanted that although i don't think i would really like to see a king arthur trilogy done in the style of like the little more the actual mythology but instead we got guy Ritchie's king arthur which was not good well i should say this too also because the july 2nd movies i gave you when we were first talking like what else came out aren't really the july 4th fair mm-hmm. so uh, which leads me to believe that another big movie came out prior to that, which was probably the big July 4th movie. So I, and I should have put this down there and apologize. So on June 30th, 2004, we had Spider-Man two, Raimi Spider-Man two. Oh, Raimi Spider-Man two. Yeah. Oh yeah. So there's uh, yeah. So that not only did probably did well initially, it's all, I, I think we've talked about before. It's probably the best Spider-Man movie. Uh, of all of them, it's one of the best superhero movies, right. right? So it probably had a big time word of mouth, uh, in in terms of you know it's it's kind of you know how how well it did across the it probably controlled July and that's it probably affected all these movies that came after, it, including King Arthur, which you're right, it's not a July seventh movie, it's a it's getting cold September October movie or. You know, January, February, we're in the winter. It's 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 definitely the feeling of of it should mimic the the time, the time of year. You it should is. go out and feel like you were just right. you were there. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree absolutely. I think it's really cool that Antoine Fuqua got to do this, and I think we mentioned this. Like, he's the only black guy on the set directing a movie about a bunch of white guys, <laughs> and I think that goes to show like how much Jerry Bruckheimer trusted him at that time, and how good of a director Antoine Fuqua well, he's was. Talented, yeah. That that back then, you know. I hate to say like 2004, that normally wouldn't happen. And maybe he, they did that and he directed the crap. So he did a really good job and yeah. he directs action very, very well. Fuquan definitely knows his action. He's definitely a big time action director. I almost want him, you know, I'm going to like, I liked, I didn't like it. The fourth Die Hard movie, Live Free or Die Hard. I mean, I, I, don't, yeah, who, I don't, who did that? That's the guy who did Underworld. Len Wiseman. But yeah. I don't mind Len Wiseman. And that's a, you know, he's and, okay. I don't like Die Hard 4, but well, yes. hang on. Live Free Die Hard is, is, has decent moments just be, if you compare it to the next one, which is terrible. But Fuqua doing a Die Hard movie uh, would absolutely be okay with me. He and did he do kind of, I know, movie. Tears of the Sun, I know, was a Die Hard script. I get it. Um, but Fuqua doing a Die Hard film, it, like that, like a, like a that kind of action movie or a what's his face? Who did the, the first Die Hard? John McTiernan. Like Olympus Has Fallen is also a Die Hard. Yeah, but see, Olympus has done it, man. But here's, here's the thing: with Olympus Has <laughs> Fallen is that it, it it has a little bit too much digital for me. Like I yeah, want Fuqua, I want blood, yeah. I want Fuqua doing like he did here, building Hadrian's Wall for, and and maybe this type of movie can never be made again because you know CGI is so it's prevalent. prevalent. Yeah. yeah, I get it. No one wants to but, spend that money. But here, but I said this last time. I talked about this last time. And I'm, I can't remember what we talked about. It might have been the episode that came out. Give Fuqua $20 million and go do an action movie that he can do all squibs and all that stuff. Like That's the Fuqua I like. I think he can do that. And I like him as an action director. But he's a straight up, he's an action movie guy. But yeah, that's it. No, I, I like Fuqua. He's good. He's great. No. So, Mike, where can everybody... You can find us, well, wherever you're listening to us right now. You can also find us at ForgottenCinemapod.com or at ForgottenEntertainment.com because we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. You can also find us on the social medias at Forgotten Cinema Pod or Forgotten Cinema, depending on where you are. We post every day of the weekday, 
And we post on Thursdays awesome commercials that you should check out because they're really fun and we uh, we enjoy doing them. And next week we're going to be taking baby steps to the microphone, baby steps to the computer, baby steps, <laughs> baby <laughs> baby steps to the mixer, baby steps to the TV. Because that's right, we're doing what about Bob next week? Uh, the movie from 1991 with uh, from with Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss. If you know what I was referring to, you have seen the movie. If you have not. Watch it. Well done, sir. Well done. All right. So that's next week. What about Bob? Uh, till then, I am Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.